Welcome into the Off the Post podcast. I'm Nick DeLeon with my co-host Lucas Tashi. Today we're going to be talking about the transfer window, all the transfers that we liked, that we didn't like. We're going to be talking about the clubs that had great windows and the ones that had bad ones as well. And then we'll look at how this impacts the remaining schedule for the season. Then we'll get into our bets for the weekend. We hope you guys enjoy the show. Welcome in, everybody. Lucas, it's been a minute. It has been a minute. Uh, It's been a hectic period for transfers, hectic period for the international break. There's AFCON going on. We have Salah versus Mane in the finals coming up. Uh, A lot of transfers happened in the last few days of the week. We we talked about it a couple weeks ago. That transfer window was trash in the beginning. And then just, boom, something clicked. And we had a lot of serious business that happened. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. We uh, obviously didn't have an episode last week because there wasn't much going on and it was the international break. So then, uh, you know, having this episode to talk about the transfers that actually ended up happening instead of the rumors, I feel like is going to be so much more fun. Agreed, agreed. So with that, should we just get started with, uh, let's do the most recent transfers to the ones that happened earlier on. So the ones that are fresh on our minds and the one that really took the storm on transfer deadline day was, is he going to go? Is he going to stay? Is he going to go? Is he going to stay? And this is your boy, <laughs> Emmerich or Obama Yang, going from Arsenal to Barcelona for a free transfer. He was still under contract, yet he's uh, going for free. So essentially, Arsenal... Uh, terminated Aubameyang's contract, allowing Barcelona to swoop in and get him. Nick, as you're an Arsenal fan, what are your thoughts on this? Um, so I just, I think that the deal for them, right? Like Arsenal has had uh, a record of signing players and managing them uh, as far as going out not well. I think if you look at this situation though right he was not going to play probably for the rest of the season and they were still going to have to pay him uh his wages which is about like i think 27 million dollars for the rest of his contract right so and regardless of what the buyout is for this season um they're saving a lot of money by having him off the books rather than paying him out for not being able to play i mean he has not been in form for Mm -hmm. about two seasons i would say like, I, I just don't feel like he is what he was when we first got him. And, I mean, if you're thinking about it, like, is it worth uh, removing him off the wage bill, even though you're not going to be taking a fee in? I would say in some situations that should be the case. I think in this situation, you know, I don't think it should be looked at as a bad move mm-hmm. uh, per se. But I do feel like if there was a player that could possibly get a fee from in the summer, it would be him. Uh, I just think that they just decided to remove him entirely just for, you know, to to remove the rumors, to remove the discussions and to just move forward. So I think that's the benefits of doing this earlier rather than waiting for the summer. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, for Barcelona's sake, this is great business for them. They didn't have to pay a fee for Aubameyang. They can just pay him his contract, whatever he's worth. Um, Great business, yet confusing, because they already have 10 attacking players, 10 to 11 attacking players, right? 
And they signed two other ones. I mean, we can get into the two other ones that they signed, which are Adama Traore from Wolves and Ferran Torres, which I think we've talked about on the pod. But this, this transfer window for them was all about attacking players, which to me doesn't really make sense. The Torres one makes sense. Um, the Traore one is a bit suspect. Um, I know he played for them in the past. Uh, he played for their youth team. But he doesn't really bring anything to the table. He's not that Barcelona-esque player that you would imagine. The Xavi, the Iniesta, the Messi, the Busquets. He's not that kind of player. But Ferran Torres, you can see. And they also had a lot of signings in the summer for attacking players. They signed Memphis Depay. They signed Luke de Jong. Um, they still have Ansu Fati, who's currently injured, but he's still there. They have uh, the GOAT, Braithwaite. Um, I just don't know why they would need Aubameyang. I don't know why they would need Traore. But I guess they're just trying to like plug in away and get players that they think can like make an impact. Yeah, I, I agree with you uh, to an extent, right? So so the Ferran Torres, I think we both agree that was a great signing, like A-plus from, from both of us, pretty much. Uh, I agree with you with Traore, right? I just don't, I just see him more as like a signing for depth for the season rather than anything else. I would be surprised, uh, like if you think about it, right, if Ansu Fati is healthy and we know that he's usually not, but if he's healthy and you have Ferran Torres, those are the wingers you're going to play, like, bar none every single time. Yep. With Aubameyang, like, I I do agree, like, they don't need him, but it, it, he's their best striker now, right? Like, so, so I just think that even though they didn't really need him because they had sufficient players at that position, he mm-hmm. instantly becomes their best striker. And, I mean, he does fit the style of play that they want to, to implement – is he going to be better than he was at Arsenal in the past couple of seasons? I think he will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, will he be as good as he was two years ago uh, and before that? I don't think so. I think he's going to be somewhere in the middle. But I do think that he was a good signing for them in terms of he improves on a position uh, that they utilize. Yeah, I agree. I just don't know how this team it'll be impacted based on they have Memphis Depay who played striker for them they have Luke de Jong who has played striker for them and now they have Aubameyang who's gonna be their striker I I just I I don't know I don't know no I agree with you too and I mean listen Depay's had like eight goals in like 16 games in Barcelona but he isn't he isn't playing to the level they expected yeah Uh, maybe that has to do with like the amount of players that are healthy around him but I I think, Lucas, like, I think you're probably on the same page as me where they probably needed to look more on the defensive side of the field and what they were going to do and how to address those issues that they have rather than signing more forward options, right, in the the front three. Like, these these level of players that they signed, besides Ferran Torres, the -hmm. other two, like, are kind of of the same level of the other forward players that they have, you know? Yeah. So it's just it's just going to be interesting to see how they go. But I mean, they get a good. In my opinion, they they had a decent transfer window, right? Like uh, definitely improved their squad for sure. Yeah, I agree with that 100. percent So another team that improved their squad, if you don't mind, like just taking it on to the next. Yeah. Uh, let's go on to Newcastle. 
And we've talked about Newcastle quite a lot on the podcast because of the fact that they have new owners. Their owners are now worth an infinite amount of money. With that came a lot of signings. As we know, they did sign Kieran Trippier in the beginning of the transfer window, which is a great deal for them. They had a, they have a right back now. Um, in addition to that, they signed uh, Chris Wood from Burnley, who's, uh, I wouldn't say prolific striker, but he gets the job done. He is, I can see him being that poacher, being that uh, striker that Newcastle need, because he's fantastic in the air. And I think for me, the shock of the transfer window was Bruno. I, I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. If you can help me out here, Nick. Uh, I think it's Gamares. Gamares? Yeah. Bruno Gamares from Lyon to Newcastle. Like, this guy is supposedly going to be one of the best center mid in the world. And Newcastle have swooped him up. Um, he has he's gone from Lyon playing Champions League football to play for Newcastle, which is insane. Uh, Nick, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, I I mean, like, I guess they're not getting relegated, right? We'll talk about this probably later on, but they made so many good signings, uh, and they, in my opinion, had one of the three best, you know, the three best windows this past this past January, so. The the midfielder, uh, you know, Bruno Gamarez, I can't even pronounce his name either, Lucas, I don't know. We'll have to look it up. But uh, he's he's a monster. I know, like, a lot of people who support Arsenal wanted him instead because he solved a lot of issues. He's a great tackler. He's box-to-box. Box. He's a great passer. Uh, he He's able to carry the ball up the field. So, I mean, you have him in the center of the, the midfield. That's an instant upgrade. That helps That helps St. Maxim. That helps. Uh, that helps Chris Wood, you know. So you develop uh, a lot. And Jolentino, right? Jolenton, Jolenton. Jolenton. They're playing him as a center mid now, and he's been him and uh, Bruno together are wow. Yeah, gonna be really good. So, so you have that, and uh, I just think that with them, and then they signed, like you said, you mentioned Trippier. They signed like three players for for the defensive line. They signed Dan Byrne from Brighton. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was starting because I think uh, I think Dunk was the one that was hurt. I'll have to look that up and confirm. But he was filling in for injuries that Brighton was having, and he was performing well. And then they signed Matt Target on loan. So, like, you just basically address, you know, three positions of need in the back line, which was a huge problem for them. So I think they just instantly – they improved dramatically, like dramatically. Yeah. You, sign, you sign basically – I think it's – what is it, like – Four players, five players. And, and if you go back, they had also signed Callum Wilson in the summer too. Yeah, you're right. And and because of that, right, like you look at their lineup, they 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 signed five players basically and they get five starters yep. from the transfer window, right? Dramatic improvement for them. And uh I mean we'll talk about the outlook for the transfer windows, but I think I think they had a great window. I mean, this is what we expected. Yeah. Uh, the new owners come in. They make one splash star signing, and then once they get that one star, which is which is Bruno, they can get other pieces there. And they've already, I think, uh, say maximum, if he can stay healthy, he is one of the most exciting players to watch in the Premier League. Like his skills, 
his technique, his uh, pace is fantastic. Um, all he really needs is uh, that finishing uh, criteria. But, I mean, if he works on that, he's still young. So if he gets that, uh, that team could be dangerous. Yeah, I agree. I, I know uh, I kind of want to move on to, to the next club that we want to talk about. And uh, Juventus is, is the one I think that we're both interested in the most. Their window, I mean, you want to talk about <laughs> you want to talk about changing the outlook of your season. Like who does it better than than Juventus this transfer window, right? They sign Vlahovic, they sign Zakaria, so they address two major needs that they had, right? They end up loaning out uh, you know, Kulishevsky and uh Bentikur to Tottenham, which doesn't really make an impact on them because they upgraded uh on the midfield where Bentikur is leaving out. And then Kulishevsky was never really playing for them as much as uh, he should have, right? So from Ju- Juventus's, uh, I mean, in my opinion, the best signing of the window was Vlahovic, right? Like, he is uh, the most talented player. He's super young. If, you, if you're talking about young strikers, right, like Holland's number one far and away. I feel like he's number two in terms of that, right? He scored, like... 17 goals this season in 21 games in Serie A. He's going to continue to do strikers, not attackers. What's up? You're talking pure strikers, not attackers. I just said pure strikers. Yeah, just to to clarify, pure strikers. So, I mean, like for him, right, you put him up front with Dybala and you instantly become terrifying to, to anybody that you're playing against. We were talking previously about Juventus doesn't really have any players that jump on the page that scare us. They signed someone who's super scary uh, that no one really wants to play against. So I just think that overall their their window was was A plus, and I feel like they had to have this window, Lucas, because if they didn't have this window, then their chances of making fourth place and qualifying for the Champions League was really slipping through. I agree. I agree. And I mean, their fee of seventy five million euros for Vlahovic is at, right now it seems high. But his value can get even higher. And just imagine for Juve, going from Morata to Vlahovic, like it's just insane. And now you have Morata coming off the bench, which he's still a good striker, but he's he's not a star that he can be that uh, day-in, day-out striker that you need. Yeah. So huge signing for them. Um, really smart business all around for Juve. And uh, I, I agree with you. I think... That's what they needed to do to push for that top four. Yeah, and they're extremely strong in, like, the center of the field, right? You have Vlahovic, Dybala, Zakaria, Locatelli, you know, Delight, Chiellini, Bonucci. Like, those center backs, you know, uh, Rugani. Like, there is a lot of strength now in the center of that midfield uh, compared to what they were at at the beginning of the window. And, I mean, not to downplay... Zakaria, that's also great business. He was he was gonna be a free transfer in the summer because he wasn't gonna be on his contract, and Juve just came in and swooped him in for five million euros. So at 25 years old, uh, CDM that is desperately needed from that club. They don't really have a CDM that they can rely on. Um, where in the past they've had the likes of Pirlo, they've had the likes of uh, just blanking on names right now, but like. They've had that potent CDM ahead of the three center backs, and they needed Zakaria to step in. I don't think he's going to be a star player for them, 
but he gets the job done, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I think also um, they they have other players that could fill that need. They've been playing Weston McKinney kind of as like a left midfielder usually, but he can also fill that need. Yep. Uh, I mean, Zakaria, just like great business, even though he has had some injuries, right? He can't stay healthy this year for yeah, whatever yeah. reason. Still like at that price is such a great deal. You know what I mean? Like we paid Real Madrid paid like a hundred twenty plus million dollars for Eden Hazard. Yeah. And like and like instead you get a player that may not play as much, right? To the level like Zakaria, but totally worth it for the amount of money that they paid. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, the next team I want to talk about, and I mean they did a lot of their business earlier on, but they still had one really splash not splash signing, but quality signing. Aston Villa. Aston Villa, earlier on in the transfer window, they went in and swooped up Felipe Coutinho on loan from Barca, which is great. He already had an impact with them because he scored a goal. He's had an assist. Um, and Lucas Dean. Lucas Dean from Everton, he is a an incredibly attacking-minded left back that is also so, so good at free kicks and set pieces. And that's what Villa needed. And this is looking to this is looking like a Steven Gerrard team now. Um, Gerrard is getting Coutinho. They've got Dinya. They already have quality players up front uh, in the attacking, and then they also have quality in the back too. They have Martinez in goal. This team, I think, could in the second half of the year make a really, really serious run. But the last signing that they did, and it's likely one that was very, very under the radar, Callum Chambers from Arsenal to Aston Villa, helping secure that center back spot. Uh, really, they have done this so many times. I mean, just in the past two transfer windows, they did it with Danny Ings, where nobody saw it coming. And he signed just like that with Villa. Same thing with Callum Chambers. There was no speculation for him to sign with Villa, yet there's a literally not even any, any reports. Villa just comes out and says, oh, we've signed Callum Ch- Chambers. Yeah, it's, it's just crazy to me to see that they're able to do this. Um, they're able to keep their, their squad and their club very tight-knit from spoilers and leaking any information out. It, it's honestly great. Uh, because it's so exciting to me. But long-term, great signings for them. Uh, what do you think? No, I agree with you. I I think they had a really good window. Uh, as far as, you know, Gerard as a manager, he's been pretty good in my opinion. And I think the signings that he made and Aston Villa made as a, as a board were really good. I think Douglas Luiz also staying was really beneficial for them as well. So... You know, there was talks of other clubs wanting to sign him because he, I believe he only has like a year left on his contract. Uh, I think that the business they, they made with the, the pieces that they're adding makes sense for what they want to do, right? Especially Coutinho, because he solves kind of a need that they had with, when Grealish left, because I, I didn't feel like they really uh, filled that piece that was missing. And then they also addressed the position of need by getting Dinier. And I just, I really like their transfer window. I think in my opinion, uh, they had probably one of the the greater windows. Like they were very successful with what they wanted to do. 
and all the players that they signed are going to make an impact. Caleb Chambers, uh, he's going to be a great utility player for them as well. So I just think that they get the depth that they lose in terms of getting Target out, even though Target is a left back. Caleb Chambers uh, can really play any position on the back line and also in the center of the midfield. So that's great business on their side. I think, Lucas, the next club I really want to talk about that was super interesting to me uh, is Inter Milan, honestly. I I think Inter Milan, what they did when they signed uh, Robin Gosens, uh, so they signed him on loan, right? And then they signed um, the goalkeeper, uh, Onana, right? Yep. So, so like those two signings that they make great business on both ends, they get a position of, uh, of need that's solved for them for that left back side. They have Gozins now on one side and then they have Dumfries on the other side, which is crazy. Uh, they're already top of the table in Syria. And I just think that they're going to continue to, you know, do great business like they did in the previous window in the summer and then this past January. So really impressed with what they did. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's nothing more that I can add to that, but their summer window was great. Their January window was great. As you said, adding Gozins for that left wing, left wing back spot um, to go opposite Dumfries. I mean, yeah, they had Hakimi there at the right wing, right wing back spot. But it seems like it's like they've already haven't missed a step. Um, yes, it's it's a downgrade from Hakimi to Dumfries, but man, that's like a great transfer window for them. And I think after this, it pretty much further solidifies them as the winners, pretty much of Sidia. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, they don't they don't they did such a good job of addressing the positions that they needed to right it's like it's like all right we we sold this player we're just going to replace them like like Lukaku right we sold yeah. Lukaku for this much we're just going to sign Zeko for for a lower fee and use that profit to invest in the club or to pay for like the finances that they have you know struggled with that was widely reported in the summer so just think that it's been it's been great for them and they continue to impress so, uh, with that being said, Lucas, are there any other clubs that stand out to you? And if not, are there any signings that you really liked? So, clubs that stand out, Everton, just have to call them out because they needed pretty much to revamp their entire midfield. They have great strikers, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, uh, Dom- uh, Gray, but they don't have like that midfield. They needed to sort that out. And them getting Deli Alley for free and Donny Vendebeek on alone, especially with the signing of Frank Lampard as their new manager, it seems like these two guys are guys that have followed Frank Lampard and Frank Lampard can help improve both these players significantly for Everton. Uh, because both these players play a similar way to Lampard did at Chelsea. I think these are two signings to watch out for for Everton. And, I mean, Everton needed it, especially given how they're, they've been playing, the form that they've been in. Um, lo- losing Lucas Dean hasn't been good for them, but they can definitely uh, be happy with this transfer window, having gotten two strong center mids. 
Uh, I do have a question for you. Do you so based on what you're saying, right? Do you think Delhi Ali will uh, regain some of his form compared to what he's been recently with Tottenham over the past like two to three years? If he gets consistent play, I think he can. Um, okay. The issue with Tottenham is because he hasn't been able to consistently play. Correct. Yeah. I think on the flip side, right? I think Tottenham also had a decent window with uh, the signings they made, right? With Juventus getting Kulishevsky and then also getting uh, Bentecourt. Those are two players that, that Conte wanted. And I think they fit exactly what he wants to do. They're both going to definitely play, right? There's no doubt about that. And I just, uh, I'm interested to see how they look uh, second half of the season, right? Because it's only, it's only two signings, but it seems like these two signings have like more weight in what he wants to do. So I'm curious to see how that impacts their second half of the season. And one other signing to call out, Liverpool, Luis Diaz, like, come on. Uh, they already have they already have Salah, they already have Firmino, they already have Jota, they already have Mane. Now they're adding Luis Diaz to it. Like, it's just unfair. And also for 45 million euros, come on, man. Crazy. A plus deal. A triple plus deal. Like, Liverpool doesn't sign a lot of players like what Arsenal did or what Manchester United has done in the past. They just like, they just sign like one or two players every window that fits what they want to do. And then that's it. Like, you know, you look at that, that team with that, those offensive players that they have and they're they're crazy. Like Diaz, Mane, Salah, Firmino, Jota, all deadly, all deadly, which is crazy. Yeah, great business. Um, other than that, I think we covered off on all the top deals that happened this transfer window. Uh, with that, Nick, who is the team that you would say did the best? Uh, I mean, I, I, it's between, in my opinion, Newcastle and Juventus. Mm-hmm. But I would have to say, I would have to say, this is so tough. I want to say Newcastle, even though I don't want to admit it, right? Um, I just think the window that they had was so great and they addressed so many needs. They had probably more impactful signings this window than any other team had. The reason why I just hesitate and, you know, Juventus is in that discussion, in my opinion, is just because of the impact that Vlahovic can have at that club. You know what I mean? Like he could potentially never have to make a move to another club ever again. Yeah. And that could be the place where he stays for the remainder of his career and he could be considered a legend there. I mean, he's only 22. You know, would you be surprised if he stayed there for another 10 to 15 years? Like, I would not be. I would not be either. Like, he's already made it. You know what I mean? And I know we talked about him already, but he's already made it. He's joined the big club for the big transfer fee. He, like, does not need to join another big club ever again with Juventus. Agreed. Um. Now, who is the club that did the worst? Oh, that's so tough. Um, well, how about you answer that question that you asked me? Like, who do you think had the best window? I think I would agree with you. It's Juventus um, because of Lahovic, But, I mean, it's neck and neck. It's 1A, 1B for Juve and uh, Newcastle. And then a distant third would be Barcelona because... Again, they do have the depth now. They're able to, they have quality players. Ferran Torres has already made an impact. Pierre-Emerick 
Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang ha- can be a sh- strong striker for them. Uh, getting Dani Alves for free is great business for them as well. Um, but have to point that out. They are in the top for me, but the city, uh, but Juve, I think, for sure did way better than every other uh, club. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I mean, I have Newcastle, but I, I definitely think those two are the two that, that come to mind. Now, who had the worst window? It's so tough, right? I mean, like, when you think about you, uh, you think about, like, the worst window, right? Uh, I... I feel like you would say Arsenal for some reason. I don't know why. No? Okay. I don't think it's Arsenal, right? Uh, I'll say that outright, and uh, we we can talk about it a little bit before I think deeply. But uh, in my opinion, people who think Arsenal had the worst window, I think they cleared a lot of dead weight, right? I think if you think about this in terms of they only have 17 games left to play in the season, like the Premier League is the only league that and competition that they're in, uh, just say it. I know what you're going to say. Just say it. So you think I'm going to say Manchester United? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think that either, to be honest. I just I need to think about it more. I think with the thing with Man United, right, is that they're in such a transition phase. And we should really talk about the Greenwood situation at the end, right? Oh, yeah. But, but I think that, like, I think with them – even if they, even considering the fact that they lost Greenwood, which is a total L in terms of the player he has, in a way, maybe that's beneficial for them because that's less of a decision that they have to make between their attacking players. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. I don't, I, I don't necessarily consider them them losers though out of the window. Like, do you, do you think that way? Do you feel that way about them? I do, but the reason I think that way is because we lost a lot of depth. Um, which is going to be much needed with us being in the Champions League, us being in the FA Cup, uh, and still the Premier League. We lost Martial. We lost uh, Donny van de Beek. Um, it's very likely that we could have lost a lot more, but we held back because we needed the depth. Uh, and the depth that we have isn't really quality, to be honest. Like Juan Mata is still at the club playing. Um, he will probably get playtime. Uh, and given that we've had a lot of injuries, we'll likely need to bring up uh, young players. And then the fact that we're, we, uh, honestly, I'm not going to say we're losing Greenwood. I'm saying we're terminating Greenwood because sure. I don't want to say that, oh, uh, the club is losing a guy because I don't want the club to deal with that guy whatsoever. I don't want him and the club to be associated together because what he did is a uh, disgrace to himself, mankind, um, everybody. It's it, absolutely disgusting what he did. Um, I don't want to even think about it. Uh, it made me sick to my stomach. So I'm not going to say losing him. I'm going to say the club parting ways, uh, getting rid of him altogether. So I think because of that and not signing a CDM, which has been so dearly needed, they could have gotten Zakaria for 5 million uh, euros, and that would have been great business for them. They were offered uh, uh, Kamara at the end of the transfer window for 5 million euros, and they said no because they wanted to wait until they hire a new manager. So with that, it's it's a tricky situation, but they could have done more, which they didn't. 
Um, so that's why I would say Manchester United had the worst transfer window. Other than that, uh, I don't know any other club that lost a lot and didn't gain anything out of it. I think that's fair, honestly. I think when you put it in perspective like that, I think you know you make a lot of great points. I was also thinking while you were you were speaking about what the goal is of the club and what they want to accomplish, right? And whether or not the past window helped them accomplish their goals. And with Man United, uh, ultimately their goal is to to win a title, right? But now it's been changed to to get into the top four. Uh, I think with that being their goal, you know, it definitely it definitely hurt them this window. So ultimately, you know, you ha- you you've convinced me, right, for sure that that they had a bad window. I just I just I'm not sure, like, just because I think there's other relegation teams, like you said, like you, you thought uh, Everton had a good window, right? I think that Everton has been a disaster this year. And I think even if they signed those two players, like they needed so much more because they let their left back basically go because he didn't get along with the coach and then they fired their coach. You know what I mean? Like, I I think I think Man United has a good shout, but in my opinion, uh, I think Everton has just been a walking abomination this year. That I mean, yes, but also they brought in two players that are that can help them. Van de Beek could help them. I don't feel like Deli Alley will, though. Okay. I know, I know what you mean, and I, 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 definitely feel like you have a point, right? But I just don't feel like Deli Alley will make that impact. I think Van de Beek will have a better impact. Yeah. You know, compared to him, uh, I just don't know. We'll, we'll have to see, right? They just saw, they just appointed Lampard, so we'll have to see. You could be easily proved right. Yeah. This season. So, some breaking news, actually. Um, as we're talking transfers, I just saw that Jerdan Shakiri, the Swiss captain, is moving, likely moving, to the Chicago Fire, an MLS club from Lyon, which is insane. Can we can we talk? Uh, I mean, listen, I feel like we're done. We're pretty much done with the transfer window, right? Like, you don't have it. Okay. So I, I do want to talk about like the MLS a little bit because I have been impressed with uh, the window that they had, right? They brought in Insigne for 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 Toronto, and then it, you saying they signed Shakiri like they they've been getting good players, uh, players of de- decent quality at good ages, right? Like thirty for Shakiri, I think Insigne is like around the same age, um, but like I'm just I'm just very impressed with the business that they've done. And the players that they sold out, right? They sold a lot of players out that are super talented. And, I mean, I look at them kind of as, like, a feeder league now rather than a totally uh, horrible-to-watch league. I think of them kind of as, like, the the Dutch league or the Belgian league or something like that, except, you know, in America compared to in European countries. 100% agree with that because you're seeing a lot of players move over to those European leagues. Like Nicholas Pepe, uh, or is Ricardo that his? Pepe. Ricardo Pepe? Sorry, thinking yeah. of the Arsenal guy. Um, yeah, Matt Ricardo. Turner. Huh? Matt Turner going from going to Arsenal. Yeah, a lot of MLS players are going over to the uh, European leagues, which is really, really good to see. Um, initially, it was also Weston McKinney went over to uh, from the MLS. I think there's a, a lot of players that are going to. Uh, overseas play overseas which is 
really, really promising to see. Um, unfortunately for the U.S. men's national team, Greg Berhalter is still the coach. So there's not much else we can do. Yeah. This has been this has been uh, probably the most talented U.S. team in our lifetimes, right? Yeah. Like yeah. no doubt about it. In terms of the the clubs that they play for, uh, and like for some reason they can't even get a coach uh, that's worth worth like a damn. Honestly, they have so many good players. Like I look at the clubs, right? Barcelona, you know, Juventus, Valencia, Chelsea, Borussia Dortmund, Lille. Like you know, these are like great clubs and Wolfsburg, right? Like these are all great clubs, top tier clubs, RB Leipzig that we have our international players playing for and people signing them actually. And yet, you know, we're still, we're still not playing to the level that we expect. Yeah. uh, It's, it's unfortunate, man, but I mean, they do need a manager to get them to the next level personally. Uh, so talking about that, Lucas, like, did you hear about the complaints that the Honduras national team had uh, when they played us in like Minnesota and like, you know, sub degree temperature and the, the players had hypothermia and they were like, oh, like, this is not like the type of weather we should be playing in and stuff. What did you think about that? That was so dangerous. That was actually like insanely dangerous um, because it was like below, it felt like it was below 20 degrees and it, even both sides, um, they were struggling because yes, it's a, a competitive advantage for the U.S. and that's why they kept it in Minnesota. But why do you need a competitive advantage over Honduras? I just think it's just kind of payback because Honduras likes to have uh, teams play in Honduras like midday like 3 p.m. in the summer during the hottest time of the year. So I, I don't know, in some ways, it's kind of like shithousery where the U.S. is like, all right, but we're going to put you in Minnesota mm-hmm. in January where there's little to no like uh, Latin support, essentially. So we get the whole U.S. crowd, and then we also get the, the advantage of the temperatures, which it was like negative two degrees Fahrenheit, basically. Yeah. So- I mean, I mean, crazy. I think it's hilarious, honestly. It is. But also the U.S. players were also getting those same, same like, disadvantages. Like, Matt Turner, he originally had the, um, like, you know how the quarterbacks in the NFL have those uh, pockets that they can warm their hands? He originally had it for the first couple minutes, and the ref said, no, you can't wear that. Yeah, I remember you telling me that, yeah. I mean, it's crazy, you know, uh, I think I think it's cool. I think as long as like the rules are in place for stuff like this to happen, then fine. But I do think this highlights the need to change the rules of yeah. how they how they manage these games and when to call them off. You know what I mean? Yeah, hundred percent. All right. With that being said, I think we should talk uh, a little bit about Mason Greenwood, and then we can go into our bets. So, Lucas, you talked about it briefly. Uh, 100% agree with you. You know, he is an awful human being. You would never expect someone like that to, you know, for them to be capable of doing these things, right? Because he grew up in Manchester United's academy. He's been a player through and through. He's known Rashford basically all his life. Like, there, there are people in that locker room that have essentially grown up with him. Yeah. And then for something like that to, to come out 
you know, like I, I don't really wanted to talk about it because we, I mean, there's, there's not much to disagree about, right? He yeah. did a whole thing. He deserves everything that's coming for him. He deserves to spend every single day he can get behind bars. Uh, the only reason I wanted to bring it up was just to ask you, you know, like it's, it's definitely depressing for you. Probably sad to hear. It's, it's probably depressing for those players too that have known him for such a long time to see that he's capable of that kind of thing. It is, especially a player that you wanted to see succeed because he had so much potential. It's sad to see that his life has gone this way. And I just, I, I don't know, man. It's it's very, I, I said, I gave my thoughts earlier about it. I hope he gets released from the club. I hope his contract is terminated. He will likely, I hope he will likely not be able to play a game of football again. But I can see where a situation where he goes to a club overseas that will take the chance on him. Um, but of course, that is all pending the uh, legal uh, issues that are going on. But Manchester United have confirmed he's not training. He's not allowed to be in the facilities. They want nothing to do with it. They've also confirmed that they're not helping him with any lawyer situations. They're not providing him with any of that support. He is going to do that on his own, which I uh, I applaud the club. Uh, they're actually doing something right for once, um, trying to disassociate themselves from this. Uh, and you also have to uh, feel bad and send your prayers to Harriet Robson. So um, yeah, yeah. It, it's a very difficult situation to come out to and discuss, especially somebody that you've been together for so long. It's it's tough and scary um but have to send your prayers out to them uh, uh out to her because it's her life is ruined from the things that have gone through in the past yeah i agree with that that that's something you know that like when something like that happens to someone it changes them forever and i just hope that she ends up uh recovering and ends up leaving living a great life because you know no person deserves to go through something like that uh as horrible as it is you know and um yeah i i just feel like we touched on on a lot there and if i feel like it was definitely important to to talk about so yeah. i appreciate i appreciate you giving your thoughts on it um with that being said I think it's time to turn to a lighter topic and talk about our bets for the weekend. How'd you do a couple of weeks ago? Uh, I mean, I ended up in the positive, right? I lost the Manchester City over uh, because it ended 1-1, but I hit on Real Betis winning because they won 4-1 or something like that. So they won. They were plus 130 to win. So I ended up in the the positive with that so i think i think lucas what i'm gonna do starting next week is i'm gonna deposit a uh, hundred dollars okay and i'm gonna use that money uh basically for bets for this weekend that i place and then we'll be able to track how well i do and how poorly i do throughout the course of this podcast okay i like that yeah so, so what app do you typically use now I still use FanDuel. I like FanDuel. Uh, I've had good success with them. And I just think that – I don't know what it is. Uh, DraftKings, like, I like the interface and everything. But uh, the light color of FanDuel makes it very easy for me to, to think and stuff. And, like, I don't feel like I'm 
uh, I'm sleeping on any anything. I'm able to like see everything very clearly through it just because of the colors, as weird as that sounds. <laughs> That's so funny. All right, then. All right. So you want me to give my best first? Give it. Because I have two. But like I said two weeks ago, I'm I'm probably not going to bet on this because I've just been so cold. So for mine, I would recommend everybody listening to do the opposite. <laughs> um, damn, I like Nottingham Forest again to beat Leicester at plus 260. Uh, they beat Arsenal. I just feel like, you know, every year we have these Cinderella teams. So why not bet on Nottingham Forest? Leicester is not as good as they've been in previous seasons. Uh, and they're certainly not better than Arsenal. So I just think that Nottingham Forest, if they can beat Arsenal, they can beat Leicester. So I'll put them in at plus 260. So that's my first one. Okay. Uh, and then my next one, right? So, I mean, let me keep going. Ooh, Burnley Watford is juicy. Like, I would love to pick Burnley because they signed uh, they signed Weghorst from Wolfsburg to replace Christian Wood. So they're basically going to play the same shithouse football that they usually play, and Watford's not good. So I'm tempted to play that, but I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off. I'm gonna hold off and think some more about what I like here. Who is Real Madrid playing? Real Madrid is not a plus money. I know. I checked that first, actually. That's unfortunate. Uh, <laughs> you did? You really checked that first? I checked that first. That was the first thing. All right. I mean, Real- let, me, let me say mine while you're waiting for that second one. Go for it. Go for so it. I have Sevilla plus 125 versus Osasuna. That's really good. Um, They've been in great form. I'm not even going to say anything else because if I try to convince anybody else that it's a great bet, it probably won't happen. So just Sevilla plus 125 versus Osasuna. That's good. Uh, I mean, the Barcelona-Atletico Madrid one is fun because it's plus money in every single decision. But I, Real Betis has been real good to me this year, so I'm going to go with them again against Real Real, plus 135 to win. Uh, so I like that too. I mean, I've they, they've won uh, – Every time I bet them, which means that they'll probably lose this weekend. But those are the those are the two that I'll have. I'll have Betis and Nottingham Forest this weekend. My second one, FA Cup. It's difficult for the FA Cup, but I I mean I feel like this has to happen. Okay. Um, Southampton minus two hundred versus Coventry. I don't even know who Coventry is. <laughs> so Southampton minus two hundred. Like, uh, they should win. And they're home. Yeah. They should win. Yeah, I mean, listen, like, you can also do uh, the Chelsea-Plymouth fixture. I like this one a lot. Over three and a half goals at minus 135. So, I mean, listen, like, Chelsea is a minus 2100 favorite against Plymouth. And when I see odds that are this big, I think that Chelsea's going to blow them out. So, Chelsea at... Uh, over well, Chelsea Plymouth over three and a half goals at minus one thirty five is also a bet that I really like. So, though I'll give three this weekend. Those are my three. I like that. I mean, the last one that you said was I think you went crazy two weeks ago with Man City over six and a half. Oh yeah, so so that was that was the weekend I got the Munch and Clad back that I did. Uh, it was it was exactly six goals or something like there are six or more goals to be scored. Or uh, and I was debating doing exactly five goals or over six or like six and over. So I chose six and over, but it ended up being exactly five. I think. Let's see what Man 
city is at right now with the overs. One second, please. Of course. Because typically, Man City versus Fulham, like, you would expect a lot of goals from City. Yeah. So, Fulham has been impressive this year. Huh? Fulham has been impressive this year in the championship. Yeah, but they, I mean, you still need goals from them, you know? You're right. The over three and a half is minus 132 for Man City Fulham. That's also a good one. That is also my, yeah, I like that. Uh, that that'll be my third one okay all right good so those are our bets for this weekend starting next week uh i'll use the hundred dollars and we'll just go go from there and we'll see how well we do lucas love it all right before we go is there anything else that you would like to talk about no i think we had a great topic this week uh transfers are exciting we went through how everybody's gonna perform afterwards yeah i i don't know is there anything that you want to talk about? You always ask me, is there anything that you want to talk about? Oh, man, I, I, got, I feel like I got everything I wanted to. Uh, let me just... Did let everything off your chest? Did I let everything off my chest? No, because I feel like people uh, expected Arsenal to have a great window. Like, they never were going to have a good window. And they complained that we didn't store any dead wood and, uh, and you know, like, the summer transfer.